can't add anything in now. No, 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 that's fine. But how can we look at today differently? How can we look at these emotions that we're getting and stop creating them? And how can we stop those behaviors that, that are habitually there, but habitually hurting you as well? Yeah. And, and, uh, and then that, that's about how do I make today better regardless of the situation? Welcome to the Elemental Health Podcast. Welcome back to the Elemental Health Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. Um, it's the first episode of 2020. Hopefully you're listening to them in order. Otherwise, the evergreen uh, concept is out the window. But welcome back. Um, the, the first year of, of launching this project was, was incredible for me and, and I had some incredible conversations and it really took me on a, on a windy path to, to understand more about how I conceived and perceived health. Um, and that changed and transformed from the conversations in this podcast. So hopefully that value is being transferred across when you guys are listening to the podcast. That is my, my deep desire. And uh, the feedback's been fantastic. So you know, I'm really, really hoping that you guys are going to get more and more value as we move through this year as well. And I get got lots and lots of exciting guests lined up for you, um, no less so than this very first guest of the year, um, gentleman called Ed Lay, um, and he started off in elite sports in the UK, um, a really diverse coaching background, um, opened his own uh, business and was transforming lives uh, over here in the UK and then decided to, to up sticks and, and now um, lives with his family in, in Denmark and has really cultivated and created incredible what I'd call leadership coaching concept that he's transferred um, despite not speaking the language and, and despite all the, all the nuances of, of a different country and created a, a really... Um, full coaching practice for, for some some high-powered high-level leaders um, that he works with and the concepts that the that he goes through and we talk about on the podcast are, are really not not just applicable to, to high-level leaders but I think that shows that the quality and the caliber of the, of the work that he's doing um, but but in 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 more detail he's he's trying to understand and, and really build out something that's deep deep in, in my heart as well which is that we we have to be holistic in our approach to health and we have to think about how the brain works how the neuroscience works behind it all our emotions how our consciousness um, fits together with how our muscles move how our body moves and and how our digestive system works we are one unit and we really need to think about that holistic model that holistic approach um, transferring into every aspect of our life uh, and and that's really my understanding of what, where Ed is at and, and the level he is at. And I'm, I'm truly impressed by his work. So hopefully you will also be and hopefully you will also enjoy uh, the conversation that we have and, and the details that we go into. Um, no further ado, guys. Please welcome the awesome Ed Lay. 
Ed Lay, welcome to the Elemental Health Podcast. Thank you very much for jumping on with me. Um, the, the audience has heard a little bit about you in the, the intro that I've, I've preloaded for them, um, but we're going to we're going to go dive into your backstory and, and kind of how you ended up in Denmark and, and in the coaching space and and really sort of dive into to the way you do things and, and your view of the world and, and the stuff that you're up to, which is really really exciting. Um, start with saying thank you for jumping on um and maybe you can kind of bring bring us up to speed on um your journey through fitness and coaching to, to kind of where you are now and what you do now and why that's important to you um well firstly thanks so much uh, thanks so much for having me um i will uh, i guess i'll start relatively near the beginning if you want to go back further then you can ask questions in that direction so um, in 2004, I did a degree in sports conditioning, coaching, and rehabilitation. And um, I, I met a guy in the pub, and he was kind of telling me about how he'd created this course. He was a physiotherapist alongside another physiotherapist. And what this degree was all about was going into um, professional sports environments, and rather than them having um, a a rehabber, a masser, a nutritionist, a psychologist, a trainer, um, a go-between coach that might tell everyone about it, somebody kind of um, documenting all of this and collating all of that information. That might happen at Manchester United with like five people doing each thing in a really succinct, powerful system. But then you just go down, even halfway down that league at the time, there'd be so little money that they'd have one person employed for each one who didn't have a full-time job and perhaps wasn't a fantastic person in, in that industry. So the idea was let's create this individual that can do all of that stuff and work just underneath a doctor, physiotherapist and do loads of stuff. Um, that sounded really great in my brain when I applied for it. Mm. In practice, it wasn't fantastic. Um, sorry, Yui. Um, it wasn't great, um, but what it did do was kind of allow me to take the step back and go, oh, actually, these things have got crossovers, these things have got ties together, and, and, and there's a lot of power in being able to do okay all of these things. So I walked away from university, and I was like, right, so I'm going to get a job being this in a professional sports environment, and the professional sports environment said, no, you're not. Um, and so basically asking why not, they said, well, we want five years experience in, in each of these areas. You know, the theory is great, but unless you've got 25 years experience of having done all of these things, then we don't think you're going to be good enough at any one of them. If you want to zero in on one, then maybe we can talk. Um, but I still like the principle of it. So what I did was kind of ask these lower league or low budget lower budget like professional rugby teams what they were actually doing to to be able to serve um their their players at a higher level without investing a lot but what they were doing was going into the community and finding the best osteopath chiropractor physiotherapist trainer nutritionist psychologist they were just finding the best in the city and saying, hey, do you want to put that you are Bath Rugby or Bristol Rugby's um, or Bristol Rovers um, physio on your website? And what, 
we'll do is we'll give you one day a week. You'll come in, we won't pay you a fortune, but you'll get to do something different from your general practice. And these guys will probably come over to you and pay you in their own time as well. And so it will boost your business. It will help us. Great system. And I thought, that's a fantastic idea. So I did the same. And I just sought out all of the best in the industry, in the area. And um, I mean, this is what, 20 years ago, right? So, uh, so I just wrote letters, not quite 20, 16, 15 years ago, I wrote letters to all of these places and spent loads of time on the phone and dropped into places. And eventually I got a full day's work in uh, seven days a week in seven different locations working with all of these people that were I worked with Chelsea physio, uh, Bath rugby osteopath, the, uh, the South Gloucestershire um, cricket trainer. I worked with a, a psychiatrist, a psychologist. I worked in a doctor's surgery, just loads and loads and loads and loads of different places and, and kind of really, really built up my experience. And I worked in one place that was over the road from accountancies uh, like Deloitte and um, all the big law firms. It, this was in Bristol. And all of, the, all of these guys were coming over and um, looking for help to get fit or treat an injury or lose weight or have less stress in their lives in, in general, right? And I was um, finding that they were two different types of person. And one of them was, I'm doing everything that I know I should do. And that one person, I would take them in and go, okay, what stuff are you doing? And they would go, oh, I'm doing all of this. I'm doing this running and and doing a little bit of, um, and you could kind of generally apply it to the relative trends that were going on. So 15 years ago, it was CV. And 10 years ago, they were like, I'm doing all of this HIIT training. And... Um, I'm I'm on this diet, so I'm eating um, ten bags of pasta a day with tuna, um, and it would just like it'd be on vogue, right? Um, yeah. But they'd be doing the, what the mainstream was saying. Nothing radical, but largely what the mainstream was saying. So it would flip between high carbohydrate or high protein or high fat or, or whatever, and it would um, be this the same sort of exercise that people were most talking about at the time. Those people that were doing everything they thought was right, if I just tweaked stuff, they would get the result. And those people would form those before and after pictures, right? Because they'd come in looking tired and weary and low energy. And within six to eight weeks, they'd be like, you've got abs. And, uh, you know, generally, generally it was like springtime that brought them in. So they'd have a bit of a tan as well. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, and, uh, they had the budget to, to see you a few times a week and it was quiet in the, in the summer as well. Right. So they'd look great. And then the other nine people weren't doing all of the things that they knew that they should be doing. So then the problem that the whole industry in particular, like the personal industry, personal training industry had identified was these people don't know what to do. And true enough, um, that nobody knows the perfect system and everybody can have something added to what they're doing that can really, really help. But if somebody is doing everything that they know how to do and you give them more, then they're 
as far as I could tell, they're kind of mental. They were mentally in the right place they needed to be. And that made me look good when they started doing the stuff. But then nine out of 10 uh, were doing nothing. And they were going, I should eat like this, but I'm eating like this. I should move like this, but I'm moving like this. So they weren't even doing the stuff they knew how to do. So it wasn't an information problem. It was a, I can't get myself to consistently do um, what I need to be doing. So I was like, okay, how do we put that into a nutshell? And they were like, well, I lack the willpower to do it on my own. So what do you want me for? I, I want you to tell me what, uh, make me do it basically. Mm -hmm. And and then I go, okay, so what type of character are you looking for? Are you looking for a, and then, and then I just, I was a, a personality trainer. And I think that spreads the personal training industry quite a bit. You've got the, I get on really well with this guy and, um, we, you know, we seem to have similar friends and similar ideas about the world. So I'm willing to spend three hours a week with him. Right. Yeah. And then you've got the, uh, actually I'm looking to hire dad. So you get the person that goes, get back to it, pull your socks up, what you're playing at. And then some other people say, I'm looking to hire mum. And so it always came back to, I'm looking to hire mum, mate or dad, not, if people are really honest, what they, what they want is I just want this result. I want to be the, the person who does the stuff that they need to do, but I've decided that I'm not. So I'm going to shell out all of this money effectively forever until my life changes um, in order to get these results. And, and that was, that was a pivoting point that started my journey towards um, looking at not to what to do, but why they're not consistently doing the behavioral piece really. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, lo loads to unpick there, but I want you to sort of continue on to kind of, I, I really want to get to where you are now um, in terms of your coaching and, and, and what you're up to at the moment. Um, just, just reflecting back on your, um, your education and your initial journey, what, what gave you the, the kind of the impetus and the, 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 the focus to, to, to come up with the idea to go around the different um, disciplines, um, you know, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, probably your early 20s um, and looking for a bit of a laugh in life. And that, that sounds like quite a forward thinking step. Yeah, I, I want to be careful not to create the impression that it was forward thinking in any way. <laughs> um, so, um, um, if I were to go way back into my childhood, um, I'd probably come back and say that willpower was likely one of the things that I did not possess in any way at all. And uh, But if somebody told me I couldn't do something, then I would go and do that. And I think that it I just stumbled upon an idea that was... Um, if I'm going to actually build um, a career out of the education that I've just had, I need to find places to work and I can work in all of these different fields as, as an intern or, or whatever they give me. I can do massage and I know how to do it. And, you know, my degree course was significantly longer than most massage qualifications and my my training qualification was significantly longer than most personal training qualifications. And 
and the same for each of those. Uh, what are hands-on vocational skills? And I'd done a lot of hands-on at university and I just needed to do more hands-on. And I, as far as I could tell, there weren't jobs and I, I've never really been a job person. I've always, I don't know, from about 12 years old, I've always made my own money um, with just kind of fun projects. I ran a football coaching school. I did car washing, uh, all sorts of kind of fun things to to make some money. So I've always been proactive at going, okay, so how do I make, how do I make the money most quickly out of the skills that I have? And I think that's probably what led to it rather than this huge insight uh, of any kind. Mm, cool. So um, let, let's fast forward to, to now. Um, you're still coaching, but in a completely different sphere and, and, and presumably um, you've developed your skills and your skill set to, 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 to able to enable you to do that. So what are you up to at the moment? I guess for the easiest question. Okay. Well, um, the, the gym that I started working in that I mentioned that, um, that had, um, the kind of the, the Chelsea physio, the bath physio and osteopath, the, uh, the, uh, professional athlete, um, coach, etc. I worked in there for, uh, for one and a half days a week for about three years. And, um, and then there are a few other interim bits that would be far too long to tell you, but ultimately I ended up taking over this place. So I took over that place and at the same time, I'd really started digging deep, um, hiring, um, people to teach me about the brain and how it works and how people overcome these things, these sticking points, like feeling like you need willpower to do certain things and feeling like you have to circumnavigate your way around your weaknesses. Like, Oh, I'm a shy person or, or whatever. Um, I was really, really digging into all of that stuff. And, um, what I uh, what I got to in the UK was basically using neuroscience principles to overarch both the physical and the mental. But I owned a gym, so it was very much lent towards mental, and uh, probably had about five or six personal trainers uh, working at any one time, using these sort of neuroscience principles to help build habits and get better physical results as well, with with less input. Um, just by creating a better uh, mind body connection um, so that people kind of could listen to the signals inside their body and uh, pay attention to those and respond to them more quickly rather than I'm just going to follow this prescription rote and then see what happens, but never improve that, that connection with the body. I mean, I think that people that are more naturally healthy, eat when they're hungry and recognize that hunger and sleep when they're tired and recognize that tiredness and move when their brain says, I think we need to move. And the people who are less fit, healthy, store more body fat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, have just lost that connection. So they don't recognize the agitation with the need to move. And they don't recognize that sluggishness with the need to go to bed. And they don't recognize that hunger for a particular way of eating as a signal to go and get that food that they need. And the more people recognize those feelings, the more 
they get in tune with them, the more they start responding to them as commands, just like when we were born, right? Um, but um, it was a more mental, it was a more physical dominant sort of program. And, and then I moved to um, Copenhagen. I sold everything up, moved to Copenhagen, and decided when I got here that I wanted to do a whole load of things very, very differently. And in amongst that, I took a year off. So I didn't, um, I kept a few clients um, in the UK and I just, I didn't work for a year and I just started experimenting on myself and seeing the, adding in the stuff that made me most healthy and most happy and most energized and, and most productive. And um, my kind of coaching um, developed out of the fact that I was able to very much overcome a lot of the struggles that I was going on just by asking myself the right questions and doing the right things and taking the right actions um, in a way that made making habits out of what I was doing easier rather than this prey and spray. I'm going to have some of this and some of this and some of this and some of this and overwhelming myself rather just getting kind of really more present with the, not just the, the somaticness of it, of the, oh, my stomach is saying this when I eat this and it's saying this when I eat that. Perhaps I shouldn't eat this and I should eat that, right? Um, that was the body connection. But the other one going, oh, why is it? Why is it that I feel like that? Just starting to get really curious with the way I reacted in situations and the way I thought about things and, and kind of saying, oh, well, I... I don't know why I feel like this, but I'm going to try doing this around that and seeing if it becomes a habit and getting present with those, that feedback from my brain and getting present with that feedback from my body just really helped me build out um, a system that worked for me, but one that I could more easily apply to clients. And, um, and then I just started contacting CEOs in, um, CEOs and C-suite people and founders in Copenhagen saying, Hey, I'm, I'm doing uh, I, I was a health coach in the UK, just sold up, moved here. I'm looking to build my network. And I just started meeting people every day and finding these people that are just crazy busy, really overwhelmed, waking up um, or staying up till three in the morning to finish stuff. And then, you know, doing the kind of the, the good dad bit and, and being awake early in the morning to look after the kids and just finding themselves pulled in all sorts of directions. Um, and, and knowing that actually if I layer in a ton of exercise into what this person is already doing, it's just not going to work. Mm. They're just going to escape from me. And if I layer in, all right, what I want you to do, have you got Tupperware? I'm going to need you to start cooking and Tupperwareing up your food and just you know, and then saying, well, if you want it enough, you'll, you'll make the time. Just, it just doesn't work. It's just a daft model. It's just a, it's just the, the seller trying to make excuses for themselves, I think, rather than trying to help the person in front of them. So we started trying to just coaching people to um, just slow down those emotions that are overcoming them and look at them, and see what ingredients are creating them. and and then stop including those ingredients in their uh, in their shopping budget. Like, same thing with food. And 
And then people started to create the space for exercise and create the space for all that stuff. So I've kind of got this physical and mental performance model that I'm using at the moment. Cool. Um, and do you get, do you get resistance from, from that audience around their kind of busy schedule and, and not wanting to kind of slow down or, or, you know, not being quote unquote, not being able to slow down. How do you, how do you come up? How do you sort of deal with those challenges when you, you meet someone that's super, super busy? Um, the reason I ask, I mean, uh, selfishly, I've, I've, I've coached guys as well that, you know, director of three companies going for tenders, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, the, 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 you know, just getting hold of those people and having those conversations is, is a challenge. And, and then to unpick what's going on in their head. Um, I'm just curious as to what, what kind of, what resistance you come up against and how you kind of push through that and, and make those changes happen. Well, first and foremost, it starts off with, with a commitment and, one of the commitments that we ask people to make when they start coaching is a financial one and um, a slightly uncomfortable financial one, right? It, it can't just be a, yeah, I'll, I'll add that into my shopping cart and carry on. So they've, they've created that first agreement with their brain that they are willing to hand over something of value for a result. And, um, that's because we want to make a living for it and we're going to hand over their time. But ultimately they're investing as a commitment to themselves mm -hmm. that they want things to be different, that they're acknowledging that it isn't where they want it to be. And that's just, I don't just stop at that commitment. So they have to commit to the time and they have to commit to the homework and they have to, you know, openly say and write down, I'm willing to commit. I'm willing to do these things. I'm willing to face these challenges. And I ask people to, to state that, that that is the commitment that they'll make. And I, I don't promise any form of accountability. I just say, hey, John, do you remember at the start where you promised yourself, where you committed to do those things? I'm just, just pointing out, I don't mind what you do with it because I don't, I'm not in this for your result. I'm in this because we made this agreement and I'm going to do what I committed to do at the moment. You're not doing what you committed to do. Um, how do you feel about that? And I'm not there. I'm not an accountability buddy. I'm not mum. I'm not dad. and I'm not mate. I'm, I'm just the guy that you hired to remind you when you slip up on the things that you said you'd do. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, and what's 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 the aspect of that um, relationship that 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 you really value and and you're able to develop that your career around? Um, sorry, could you reframe the, the question? How do you mean? Um, so obviously you've come through a kind of, uh, fitness, physical background into, you know, and then you've explored the neuroscience aspects of it. And now you're dealing with, with, uh, obviously senior leaders, um, yeah. within the sort of Copenhagen community, you know, what do you value within that coaching framework? What's, what's, what, what do you benefit from that? What, you know, how do you see yourself growing from those interactions? Um, well, good question. <laughs> I, I started, um, by accident, finding myself working with partners um, and just in the big accountancies, law firms and, and CEOs. And what I would find is that I would get some 
senior lawyers come into come into the the studio and talk to me about training and uh, and working with me and the most stressed ones always had the most stressed boss always mm-hmm. and i and what i started to recognize in the the stories that they were telling about how they were looking at the expectations that were on them and how it was framed and all sorts of things like that was that um, the more um, stressed the copy guy and the people doing just the lowest skill stuff at the bottom, let's say, the, the more stress there was at the top. And, and I started to recognize that there was this massive trickle-down effect. And I could um, create this really low-budget service that served the people at the bottom a little bit because of the amount of them that I needed and the amount of me that there actually is, or I could get really, really, really good at helping the guy or girl or woman at the top and know that I'd be impacting all of the people below. And so it was a case of, do I, am I the type of person that wants to be the CEO of a large company that serves millions or thousands or a small one that serves a few really deeply. And, and I realized that I prefer the, the conversations. I love the conversations and the, the light bulb moments that you see and the transformational stories that you see, but also the, the relationships that they talk about, they're improving with them and the people that they interact with most. And then them and the people that they interact with most. And I just see this, this huge trickle down effect. So then I go, okay, so the CEO has got um, X thousand pounds to invest. Where's he best off investing it? And I, it comes back to himself and his own clarity, direction, focus, and strategy. And the deeper that he can go into that, she can go into that, the better he serves the people that and she serves God, this sex is a nightmare um, <laughs> that work below him. And just felt like a natural thing to come and work with, with them over here as well. Brilliant. And I love it. Absolutely love it. I think I'm, 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 I'm kindred spirits in, in that sense of not wanting uh, a workforce where you know you've got you've got lots of employees and you're serving thousands and thousands of people you it's more about the, the one-on-one interaction even even down to my friendship circle um you know i'd much rather a, a one-on-one conversation than a, than a big party um for sure it's it's i think you naturally got a bias one way or the other that's that's sure. really interesting and i think yeah impact those leaders and and that trickle down effect will will work really well that's that's nice really really nicely put um cool so and your your motivation because i read, read a couple of your blog blog posts your motivations for kind of upping sticks and moving to, to denmark were were quite interesting to me as well so um can you can you go and give us the the aha moment or, or the, the 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 trigger point to you wanting a kind of different life and different landscape yeah i mean um I mean, a, a major catalyst was that um, my father-in-law was really sick and 
he'd, he'd had cancer for, for three years. Um, but we were over visiting and we're kind of, we're on the beach with, with the family. And this was the first time that we'd seen him in that three years where it kind of felt like cancer had him rather than he had cancer. And, you know, he was in a wheelchair and, and other things were starting to go wrong. Right? He had an arch on his foot drop um, kind of quite rapidly, which, which meant a wheelchair was needed and breathing was no longer um, independently working. So he had a gas thing on and we we're on the beach and, uh, and my, the beach that we live by now and the kids were having great fun, just kind of messing around with their grandparents. And I kind of had this, penny drop moment where like half an hour before I'd been on the phone trying to solve an admin problem and in the morning I'd been on my phone trying to solve a rental problem and it, I kind of realized that what I was doing in my company in the UK was I was spending 22 hours a week doing one-to-one -one stuff and I was spending 40 hours a week looking after a building and looking after staff and I just kind of in that moment I was just like that is absolutely not what I want to be doing with my time at all so I turned to my wife and said hey do you fancy moving here and she said yeah all right and then we turned to my wife's parents and said hey um, we're moving to Copenhagen is that all right and the girls got really excited and Christine's parents were like, hey, you're not going to do that. And we're like, no, we are. And then we got on the plane and we're driving back from Heathrow and the phone rings and uh, it's my wife's parents and they say, so it takes about a year and a half and they're trying to call our bluff here, right? And it takes about a year and a half uh, to get a flat um, in Copenhagen. And so you need to get on the lists and if you know people, they'll let you jump lists as well. And so you're really going to need to get on the list early. So do you want us to put your name on a list? Because it could be a year and a half. And we're like, yeah, put our name on a list. We're looking at a year and a half here now. And then uh, we got home and we're like, okay, so we're setting this plan for a year and a half. What needs to happen? We just started listing everything that we needed to do and conversations we needed to have and conversations we needed to hold off and people that we need to not tell in order for us to be able to sell a business that had any value at all and and keep our staff safe ironically and keep them in a job the only way to do that was for them not to know and not to kind of bolt and us to have a thing of value to, to pass on we just had no idea how any of that would work and then the next day we got a call from Christine's parents saying hey um, so you're at the top of the list. Three people in front of you said no. If you don't take this flat now, it could be two years before you get one because they'll put you to the bottom of the list and say they said no once before. Should we take it for you? And I'm like, what's that now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Christina's dad goes, look, um, I want to make sure that this happens because it because it would be really important to me to know that my daughter and grandchildren are kind of coming home as it were. Um, so I would be willing to pay for it 
and then you just pay me back. I was like, this is mental. <laughs> so, so we said yes. And we're like, okay, so now we've got this financial timeline. So how quickly could we do this? So we started calling around and uh, we put our house on the market and it took a tedious 14 days to sell, which for some, somehow, I, do, I really don't know how, but time slowed down to the degree that if somebody said it's only been 14 days, I'd have been like, no, it's been at least six months. But, um, but it, it just went rapidly, sold the house um, within 14 days. Um, the business was a total ball ache and we really don't know, want to go into that here. Um, but it was a right pain in the ass and there were a lot of scammers out there trying to steal your business as soon as you put it up uh, for sale. But um, 100 days later, we, uh, we left. So from decision on the beach to 100 days later, we arrived in, uh, in Copenhagen, which was, yeah, it was all... Is all a little bit, a bit of a blur, a little bit of a whirlwind. <laughs> and any reflections on that, looking back now to, to those decisions and decisions to, to sort of that you weren't kind of, I guess, living your purpose and you wanted to, to, to make a massive change? Um, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think it came from we, we wanted to make a massive change. The, the truth is that we were really happy in Bristol and we were really enjoying what we were doing. We loved the place and loved you know, our, our friends and, and the company and the people that worked for us. And we really, really enjoyed that. And what I could have taken from it was, um, right, I've decided that I don't want to do all of that admin. So the next person I employ logically needs to be someone who's going to run the place, someone who's going to be a manager, not a, a personal trainer. And mm -hmm. that would be, that would be the logical next step. And, and if I'm honest, it probably would have been far easier <laughs> <laughs> and uh, far less emotionally um, draining than than moving but um but it just kind of it felt like an adventure and there and it was kind of like one of those memento moments where where you go oh well here we could live by the beach and we could live by the forests and our girls would um not be pushed into education ridiculously early and they could play in school and we wouldn't have to move our mother-in-law to us and i could actually start something again inside a building that didn't have the same number of issues as the building that we were in before and it was just it was just all of those kind of things came together and the truth is if we didn't decide to move to copenhagen we'd probably gone home and gone you know, should we sell the business and start something, um, something that's more aligned with where we, we want to be now? It was just that um, I say ridiculous things sometimes. <laughs> awesome right switching gears i love it i love that i love that story that that yeah it's brilliant um and and brave brave and, and courageous at the same time and, and just going for it i think a lot of people sort of hold back um obviously you had some motivation there around your 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 family but um yeah i think there's so many people out there kind of just going through the motion because that's what they think they should be doing and, and not really taking life by the balls it sounds like you've always lived a, a quite a great life so so just acknowledge you for that ed um i just wanted to switch gears a bit so i know you, i know you've given one ted talk in bristol ted talk tedx talk um yeah. and you've got another one coming up 
So your original TEDx that I did listen to um, probably quite a while ago now, I think when I first come across your content, um, what, what was that about? And, and what, was your, what was your feedback from going through that process of, of giving a TEDx? We've got a, sorry, can you hear me? Yep, sorry. So we had a momentary screen freeze there. Um, you know what, I, um, this is going to touch on my next one, right? But um, I was, when I was researching the brain and, you know, why people don't consistently do what they said they do, almost to pick up from, from the first story, mm-hmm. I stumbled across a man named Michael Perez, um, and he is a genius. He's like um, the rain man of the NLP world. He's known as the encyclopedia. He'd probably prefer that to the rain man definition, actually, having said that. He's like an encyclopedia of, of just how all of that kind of works in the, the, the NLP world. And I hired him as a coach. And what I kind of had going in was that I'd been told my entire school life that I wasn't very academic and that I was kind of like a C grade person and um, I was going to get a C or less in pretty much every subject in my life. Just, uh, you know, you probably went to school at similar similar time to me and you know how they rank and grade people and it was difficult to change that rank or grade. Um, And also I was told very early on that I was shy and I was also a smoker and a heavy drinker um, at, at that time. And, and I'd just taken on this new business and I'd just had a baby and I just had um, a whole load of new stuff and, whole, and you know, it just become real. Like I, I didn't have to just provide for uh, myself and pay the bills. It was now I've got a child and a company and staff and all of those kind of things to deal with. But I, but um, I kind of thought that I had was if all of these A grade people have got trouble with willpower in this area, and I always told, Oh, it's because you lack willpower that you've got all of these problems. Maybe that wasn't true. So I hired uh, a coach to go look I've been reading around all of these things but I haven't got to a point where I'm able to implement them on other people to the depth that I want to be able to and I'd, I'd love to see how it works and within six months I'd done a TED talk I'd written a book um, so TED talk was the I'm not shy anymore and <laughs> written a book was um, and I wrote every single day, I read a research paper and then wrote an article on it every single day and posted it on LinkedIn, sent it out in an email, put it on a blog. Um, uh, doubled the size of my business, didn't, t- didn't touch a c- cigarette again, didn't smoke again. And I was like, okay, so this stuff works. Um, and why is it that this stuff works? And then just my TED talk was around the idea that we're kind of faced with these facts that we built around the idea of gluttony and sloth and you're greedy and you're lazy. That's why you're overweight and unfit. When actually, when you really look into it, it tends to be that we've been told that we need to find that we just need to suck it up and do it for exercise. And the people that are fit are the ones that suck it up and do it. 
and the people that are that eat the right way are the people with the most willpower well actually if you just start from i'm going to create this beautiful plate and really really get present and enjoy this amazing food and i'm going to create this five star experience for myself and treat myself that way like i deserve that and then i'm going to play physically whatever that actually means to me i'm going to start moving in the direction that i want to and rather than going getting overwhelmed by looking to the future i'm just going to focus on the present and making today more beautiful and today more fun in the areas of not just food and exercise but in every area everybody just we just tend to start moving towards where we want to be and we start getting more creative and more curious around what we can get our body to do next and what we can create in the kitchen next and get more connected with ourselves and this you know this crosses over to mammals as well you know it, and and i touched on this in the ted talk where you looked at the early zoos they were just these concrete cages where they would chuck in any food into the monkeys and the monkeys died early and they got depressed and they gained weight and when they started recreating the natural environment of monkeys and started feeding them what they actually ate in the wild the monkeys just naturally started playing and a bit more of that type of approach what would make this more fun basically is is the approach that we need to start moving the whole industry towards because we need to just let go of the fact the this idea that i've got all of this knowledge you've got none of this knowledge and that's the reason that i'm healthy and you're not because let's face it 95 percent of personal trainers came from i've always been fit and healthy so they lose that mental connection between it they just naturally assume i'm good you're not and i need to teach you what i know so that you can be good mm. yeah there's no there's no developmental process there is there and i think that's one of my gripes within the industry really is this kind of the not just the industry society as a whole i think there's this this emphasis on knowledge and information um and there's no cultivation of, of anything else and and it's it's overly uh, uh, it's just everyone's just got a massive bias to that 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 next bit of information versus just kind of sitting and pondering and and, and finding their own path through absolutely yeah absolutely so yeah awesome story and um that that sort of it definitely rings true with 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 everything that i'm i'm doing with my practice as well is is trying to align people with what's going to work for them and not teaching them as such allowing them to develop on their own and, and find their own path to health really um, i think everyone's on their own journey absolutely and and i think um the the phrase that i've used um that i think came from from uh dax moy was um more extraction less instruction so just kind of pulling out from people where they are and where they want to be and what what the logical next step for them is what's the best next thing yeah and it, and it um it aligns i mean you've got kids i've got a very very young son now um the, it aligns with 
the developmental process of a child that, that is hemmed in by the education system, in my opinion. And, and you, you start to hear about people unlearning and unlearning their children as well and, and how they develop on their own naturally in a natural environment. Um, and it's fascinating to me because we're all big kids, right? It's not like there's no differentiation in my mind to, to how that happens and how this happens. It really doesn't. So, um, yeah, I think we can, we can, we can all just, just, find our own way and, and intrinsic kind of uh, awareness if we're able to tap into it which i think was your very, very early point that you made yeah, yeah absolutely i mean my um seeing the contrast between the danish education and the english education system and i won't claim in any way that one uh, that uh, that either of them are perfect but um but my oldest daughter had a lot of information pushed into her during her first two years of school. Um, and that pushing in of information did not make her a desperate learner. And Sophia, my youngest, she's just been at uh, what's called Bernhau over here, but is kind of nursery um, with a little bit of structure to it in different age groups. And, but it's basically, it's fundamentally play. Um, up until the age of six and she's so curious and wants to learn so much and and rather than push she's kind of pulling to hey give me that book tell me what that says teach me that thing I want more I want more I want more and uh, I just feel like it's the um, like pushing a child to do something or holding them back from doing something until they pull so hard that they kind of sprint off in that direction. And that's just, it's a small experiment, right? And an N of one, right? With <laughs> the contrast between the two. Um, but, but it's something that, that seems really clear to me and really powerful that it's been a result of the difference in education system. One being let's push this information in and one being, Hey, let's see how this one likes to take their information in and uh, by letting them play and then see how they play with these things and chances are that that as we already know humans are smart we just layering that smart on top of reading and writing and arithmetic all of those things that needs to happen but how do we get that information in the fastest in a way that it makes sense to them and generally it's if they're in charge of it i think it works a lot better and it's the same with adults People work better if they're in charge with the next direction. It's all neuro association, as we call it. If the last story can connect to this story, can connect to this story, can connect to this story, then it makes sense. But giving kids information that's out of nowhere and giving clients information that's out of nowhere is like, okay, how do I bolt me here with these stories onto this story that's nowhere near? And really, if you want to build a bridge, those stories need to massively overlap each other and that works best if you just what's the best next thing that you can be doing yeah and that that segues really nicely into a, a question that i scribbled on earlier around self-experimentation so you you talked about when you moved to denmark and, and went on a bit of a, a journey of self-discovery and what, what what play meant for you um so what what's what's your um kind of coaching methodology or, or view for for adults wanting to kind of develop more in terms of their health because that i guess that's what we're talking about but in any area of their life really around finding their own path and self-experimenting um well 
do you know what there's there's a upside and a downside to uh being an expert in some of the physical stuff right because being an expert it lends me to being going actually i feel like i know the answer to that question whereas it might not be the it might not be the next thing for that person it may not make sense to them but as far as my own experimentation goes if i say i want to um, increase my capacity to be mentally present by doing something that ticks the boxes of meditation and so what i'm saying is i want to have this parasympathetic nervous system dominance and focus that I can carry on into the rest of my life and, and improve everything based on the, like the research around meditation. But, um, but rather than saying, I want to find, I want to meditate and just beating myself up in some way around that meditation, I start exploring and going, which one makes sense for me? So I experimented with lots of different types of meditation. I've experimented with lots of different types of um, parasympathetic breathing and i've experimented with um things that i do when i'm out going for a walk um or yoga but it's going this is the thing that i want more of now rather than saying i'm going to try meditation and then if it doesn't stick beating myself up i just go what what is everything in this category that moves me in this this sort of direction and being willing to experiment with with all of those different things and experimenting with different morning routines that that makes me feel good and actually experimenting more with what can i remove rather than what can i add in um to my uh, to my day so that i don't go well i wake up and i do these 64 things because how do i make it better if i'm not adding in more um, and finding processes that um create the largest amount of benefit for me and then being willing to just throw them away if I while I find something else that's of more benefit to me but um, as it goes for my clients I um, I ask them where they are in big in large detail in in every aspect of their life and but then I show them where they are physically so um, we go through a test of neuroscience kind of based tests. I do eye testing, I do inner ear testing, I do breathing testing, um, I do uh, mobility and stability testing, I do lymphatic testing, I do gut testing, um, but um, not in, oh, I, you've, you've ticked, you've got a red on this blood test that we took for you, which means this, but rather things that they can test for themselves. So like the lymphatic testing, I get them to really push hard on those lymphatic, uh, on, on top of those large glands and then go, okay, so can you see that how inflamed your body is because that hurts? And would you like to try something that removes that and improves that? And then these are the things that you'll notice. And then did you notice those things so that, so that their brain can go, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll commit to that experiment. And yeah, I've noticed those gains. But I try and do as many kind of different physical tests where they can go, oh, I can't reach the floor there. And I, I did say I'd like to be more mobile. And then, and then adding in those things that will get them there mo most quickly so that most of my clients will end up with something that looks like a 
20 minute routine in the morning and then a few non-time stealing activities that they'll do um, throughout the day. Um, but the non-time aspect is, is kind of an important thing. It's like, if I do this thing, I get a significantly better night's sleep. And um, there's one that I got from Dr. Dr. Perry White from Stop Chasing Pain, worth a follow, everyone. Was, I've had him on, um, I've had him on. Awesome. So he had a little <laughs> bit of tape. He uh, put a little bit of tape behind the ear um, that uh, communicates with the vagus nerve and makes you feel safer. And I've had uh, my clients try that. And those that have tried it, especially those who've got like sleep apps are like, okay, so my phone says I'm getting 30 minutes deeper sleep and I feel more well rested. And it's like, this takes no time. Mm -hmm. So it takes no time and it gives you deeper sleep. And I'm not going, you need to get to sleep earlier. They're just getting a deeper sleep. And, and I, I, help people use a number of those different things that can go um, this small action creates this big result. Mm. I think, I think that is the, that is the, that is for me, that is absolutely the way to develop really and grow. And that's the only way we develop and grow is by learning on our own and, and finding our own path. Um, the, the challenge I, I see is people, markets whatever it is um the, the media we, we want to buy into an off-the-shelf solution that, that's step by step one two three four five six seven eight, nine ten and if i do those 10 steps i'll get this amazing result um and it's it's a real dichotomy to me as to kind of what you see going on out there and what what sort of marketing messages kind of work um versus actually what intrinsically works and what we see works with children and, and developmental processes yeah, I mean, I, I try and um, have a very principle-centric marketing message that, that kind of says, hey, have you tried X, Y, and Z and found that it hasn't worked? Have you tried to create an exercise habit? Have you tried to be a more value-driven person? Have you tried to consistently get yourself to sleep? Have you tried to drink more water? Um, have you tried New Year's resolutions and goal setting and, and all of those things and, and found that they aren't working for you? And are you still getting derailed by your feelings or overwhelmed by going home or finding it impossible to not put your phone down? Um, and willpower isn't the story. And it's, it isn't to do with it isn't to do with you. It's to do with your approach and the approach that's universally sold. And I just kind of I write down those 10 guiding neuroscience principles that we know to be true, that, you know, willpower lives in, in the prefrontal cortex. And when you're trying to make a habit out of something and your brain is fighting against it, you're in your temporal lobe. You've got your brains pumping out emotions and going, we, you clearly don't want to be doing this. We don't want to be doing this. You don't even have access mm. to your willpower. And so I, I keep telling that message and stay away from the, you're going to drop X in Y time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tricky, isn't it? I think it is, it is, it is, it's a real minefield out there. And, and it's certainly in the fitness space, it does feel like there's, there's just, 
there's certain things that work that that um in terms of people will attract people because they're making that connection on that that sort of cerebral connection that emotional connection rather um but actually what we're saying here is what works in terms of longevity and health is people understanding that they need to create their own path and their own journey and their own unique approach yeah absolutely i mean uh, within the realm of there's uh, there are certain things that work and there are certain things that don't work but um but and and that's that's been a really important lesson for me is don't don't attempt to package up anything that you're not consistently doing in your own life and whether that is um if you're doing a coaching program and you're not taking yourself through your own coaching program then firstly you're missing out on getting a ton better at taking other people through it but what you're saying is i'm done i'm fixed i'm great to those people and you need help um but as soon as you're you're just a person on the same journey taking other people through it you start seeing those things where i this is where i can improve it this is where i can make it better and i'm not asking anyone to do anything that i don't believe is is possible yeah yeah, I love it. I love the way that the, the, the way that you put that together. Um, cool. I'm just conscious of time. Um, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask um, all my guests, and that is, what does health mean to you? Oh, that's an excellent question. I think um, health means that you're able to stay in the present and you're not being pulled out of the present. And um, to elaborate on that further, I think that um, habits that we know literally kill us um, are us medicating being pulled out of the present and us going, this moment is too uncomfortable, so I need to medicate that. And stress is essentially us worrying about the past, depression, or worrying about the future, anxiety. And so to bridge, and then pain, again, that's our brain saying, Hey, pay attention, do something about that. And I think the more we can stay present, the healthier we are, whether that's physically paying attention and doing things that serve us and make us feel even better and help us be even more present, then that's the physical side and the, the mental side is the same. Really concise answer. I think it's probably the most concise answer we've had, but um, but a lot, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I don't think, I don't think, um, I don't think there's a, there's a, a, a simpler way to put a kind of my view as well, actually. And, and, and that is, yeah, it's just, it's, it's for the, for the, it's about having the focus, isn't it? On what's going on right here and right now and, and making those choices based on that, as opposed to kind of everything that's just in the world around us and that, the, 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 you know, this constructed chaos that we live in. Um, but Absolutely. No. <laughs> I mean, the reason monkeys exercise and, and the humans that don't, it's because what will these people think if I don't get this done? Or what will these people think if I change this? Or what will these people think if I do that? It's fear of the future every time that causes that inaction, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're not thinking about the future, if we're mentally present, it's just a demonstration of health, I think. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. And do, do, do you, um, what, what are some tools and tricks, tactics to, to stay present? Um, well, as you know, the, um, there, there are huge benefits to, 
um, meditation practice and also huge benefits to movement awareness. And we've seen that in all of the kind of the trauma research and the stress, depression kind of area is that the physical thing is awareness around your behaviors. So practicing eating mindfully, cooking mindfully, making mindful choices, meditation, um, awareness over your movement rather than I'm going to see how hard I can work and how much I can suffer, but how much I can concentrate. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger always used to say, I imagine myself in the muscle. Um, that was, that was Austrian. Um, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you missed that. Um, <laughs> um, and um, so mindfulness of, of our activities, that, that's, a, that's kind of like the body uh, part of it. But then the other part of it is getting uh, clarity around um, who we are and why we do the things that we do and our, our emotions and the recipes that create them not just the negative ones but the positive ones and um, getting clarity around what we know already and what we don't know and what we're skilled at and what we want to be skilled at and it's just getting slowly getting clarity around all of our words and those things that most impact us stop us being pulled out of the moment which is why the definition was so easy for me yeah. as well yeah, I think, yes, that does make sense. And pe people, in my experience, largely speaking, are just not spending the time to, to do that. They're not finding the, what I call the pause um, in their life to, to actually take stock and do those things and raise their self-awareness and, and get that level of understanding. It's just, it's just, it's just um, you know, we live in this distraction economy and it's just one thing after another. Well, look, you know, the way our brain works is, is the basal ganglia just runs and it produces, it produces our habits. And until we go, um, I'm going to create the perfect scenario for my basal ganglia to pay attention by doing something new, telling somebody that I'm doing this new thing and putting some caveats around it. Like I'm going to try this for this amount of time. Um, and uh, unless these situations arise, kind of giving ourselves this um, cl real clarity around this thing and I'm going to be experimenting with this new way of acting or not acting so that our basal ganglia pays attention. And if it goes, yeah, that's better, then it's a new habit. And if it, and then, But if we never give it a new action and make a new commitment to another person and create a, an idea around this new way of thinking, speaking or acting, then our basal ganglia won't ever accept this new habit unless we just move into this new environment where we go and join a new group who's who places exercise as the most valuable thing to them mm. or places smoking to the most valuable thing to them or how many pints you can drink in an evening and walk home value to them. And, and that's the thing that impacts us most, right? When we, if it's, we change environments and unless we deliberately decide what we're going to do and what's going to benefit us, we end up just following the tribe. Yeah. And, and then we look at once we go, I feel safe with these other, with these people now that I have the same behavior. We look at winning. 
Now I want to move up the hierarchy. So I'm going to be a better crossfitter or I'm going to be a better smoker or I'm going to be a better drinker or I'm going to work longer hours or whatever criteria this new group lords as the highest value. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's, that, that rings true with um, my, my background. I had a conversation, I, I do some, some coaching for GPs and in, in, in near I am um, now down towards Brighton way. And they, they, they were asking me, I've, I've got a military background and, and that's where I, that's where I cut my teeth in the fitness trade was in the military. And, you know, they were, oh, oh you, you must've done a lot of coaching in, in the military and, and there is zero coaching that goes on there yeah. <laughs> for, for the reasons you said, you know, I was, I was getting guys, young guys ready for, for airborne selection. Um, and it was a hundred percent instructional because they are seeking the status that I had and that they wanted to attain. Um, their intrinsic motivation was a hundred percent walking through the front door. Like there was no, there's no coaching required unless they got injured. And that was a slightly different story because then you have to sort of build them back up. But, but, um, but largely speaking, that group of, group of, of, of young guys there, um, were, were ready to go. Um, and there isn't any coaching that goes on because it's that, like you say, it's that, it's that tribe mentality. It really is. Um, and it can go, it can work well for you up until a point, but then at some point you, I think, you know, we see, again, we see this with the military you can, you, you, until you don't belong or you don't want to belong within that tribe, then you, things start to unravel very, very quickly. Um, if you don't have that intrinsic motivation and you've not done the deep work that you've talked about so eloquently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can, I can imagine that, that being the, the perfect environment to, well, you either adopt these behaviors or, or it's not going to work for you. You're out, right? Exactly, exactly right. I'm not yeah. going to coach you into wanting it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. It's funny because, because you, it carries a certain status, um, even now. Um, and I'm always a little bit surprised around that. Obviously the discipline and the, and the structure and all that sort of stuff, uh, leadership, but, but, but from the, like the softer side of things, it just, there, there isn't a, there isn't a synergy in, in my eyes, but from, not from my experience, but, but yeah. Um, Ed, I am done. We're, we're kind of out of time as well. Um, I know you've got some really exciting news for us and you've got something coming up next month, uh, February, 2020, if you're listening to this, um, as it comes out, um, please tell us what you're up to. Yeah. So, um, I've got a Ted talk in, uh, in February, my first kind of Ted talk in, in Denmark, is, you know, it's, it's been such a bizarre kind of whirlwind experience of, of only really engaging with the country two years ago to um, finding myself doing a, a TED Talk in, in a couple of months' time. Uh, no, next month, but we've still got the rest of this month. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, TEDx. Oh, I can't actually say the next bit. It's, uh, it's <laughs> Fredericksburg, right? Fredericksburg, but it's, yeah. Flerexbell or something like that. Flerexbell. That as may in, have been it. As in Hamlet's Castle. Um, I think Hamlet's Castle is Holbeck. Holbeck. Okay. Bridgesburg is that? Is that the officer training? Is it up that way? Anyway, um, <laughs> just trying to trying to dig up my my knowledge of of Denmark. But um, and and what will you be what will you be sharing at that? Are you going? Can you dive into that? Yeah, so um, what I'm going to be talking about without giving away too much in information is I'm talking about my process of going from being told at a really young age that, that these were my flaws and then discovering that these were my talents and then 
kind of going all in on those talents and uh, things that I've noticed that I was good at and better than anybody else at really early on. And it's not, it's not anything kind of um, majestic, right? It's just like I noticed that I was really good at moving my body and I was really good at practicing relentlessly more than anybody else. And, and I could do those two things. Uh, but I was also given a handicap at like four years old where I was really constantly reassured that I was shy. And it was a, it was a kind of a, a there, there, don't worry, you're just shy. But the way our brain works is we adopt that as a, this is me, this is part of who I am. And also that I was a average or slightly below average um, capability in the brain stuff. And that, and, and ultimately that was based on some teachers feedback who couldn't use their exact system to get me to produce the stuff that they wanted to that basically is handed to us at school. It goes, ah, you're a C grade person or just below. And I've got loads of school reports and stuff that are like, uh, you are uh, just below average. And if only you'd apply yourself more and you just need to focus more, you just need. And what I'm talking about is this, this journey of discovery of my own weaknesses that I was handed as a kid and then discovering um, when I got to start helping the C grade, the A grade people that were in the highest paid jobs around that actually um, they discovered that they lacked exactly the same thing. And so if they lacked exactly the same thing to get themselves to do the movie stuff and the ET stuff they needed to do, then um, perhaps neither of us, we either both had the same problem, but they got an A. So if they're the best people, then why is it um, maybe neither of us has a willpower problem? And uh, so I'm kind of, I'm going on that personal journey and then unpacking that a little bit. Wow. Sounds, sounds, sounds amazing. I look forward to that. Um, and um, where can people connect with you um, that are listening to the podcast? Um, LinkedIn is probably the best place. Mm-hmm. Um, just Ed Lay, E-D-L-E-Y. I'm on the other social medias, but I'm not particularly active, but I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and responsive. Wicked. Well, um, thanks again, Ed. It's been awesome. I love your insight. I really do. Um, and, and the thought that you've put into the, the coaching practices that you deliver and, and all the bits and pieces that you've spoken about. It's, it's, it's enlightening. And, you know, I've been scribbling away some notes down here as well. So um, just uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I really appreciate it. I know my audience is going to absolutely love it. And I'll look forward to, uh, to, to hearing the feedback on this episode. Thank you very much, Ed. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's been, been a real pleasure. Guys, another episode in the bag. Hopefully you enjoyed that one. If you are enjoying the show, which I certainly hope you are, please leave us some feedback, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help us reach more people, which is kind of what I'm about and what this this program about, what the, what the podcast is about and my, my kind of mission in life. So please, please, please kind of help support if you are finding value from this podcast and share it with someone you care about if you think they'll get some value for it. That's, that's the, probably the greatest thing you can do if you want to support us hope you enjoyed the episode and 
you know, Ed is a great guy, and we, we carried on chatting for, for a good 20 minutes after the episode and talking about all sorts of things, including education, which obviously is prevalent to my mind, having just had a baby. But uh, I really enjoyed that that chat, and, and um, it's really kind of got me thinking, uh, certainly at the start of this year, about how, how I look forward and, and how things kind of fall into place for me. Um, so I really appreciate him jumping on and chatting to us, and uh, maybe we'll get him back on and go a bit deep dive in some of the some of the things that he's up to guys thank you very much i will catch you on the next episode